A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their faith in the mucky business of politics. You might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And guess what? You'd be dead right. But then again, so is everything else on planet Earth. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are involved in politics and doing so in an informed way. Today, we're talking about whether Christian values are for everyone or just for Christians. If God wants all humans to have life to the full, should Christian MPs try to pass laws that uphold a Christian worldview? Or are God's ideals for relationships, life and death just for those who've had their hearts changed by the Holy Spirit? Joining us to talk about these things will be Danny Kruger, the Conservative MP for Devizes in Wiltshire. Before we speak about all that, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, it's now been a year since Boris Johnson said we must stay at home. It's almost hard to remember how little we knew at the beginning, how park benches were cordoned off, coffee shops were closed and everything outside fell silent. A year later, cathedrals are tolling their bells and many churches will have candles to represent each person who has died in their area. Staying at home has had its knock-on effects, especially on people's mental health and children's schooling. But for many people, they have also spent that lockdown stuck inside a building with flammable cladding wrapped around it, just like that which was around Grenfell Tower, unable to sell and with huge bills over their head. There was an amendment proposed last week to the Fire Safety Bill by Bishop Sarah Mullally and Bishop Alan Smith, the Bishops of London and St Albans, to save leaseholders from the huge costs of making their buildings safe. But the government this week defeated that amendment in the Commons. The Bishop said in response, without a genuine solution, there is a real risk of bankruptcies, homelessness and possibly worse. The government has promised £5 billion to replace combustible cladding, but only on buildings over 18 metres in height. And you may have spotted those questions on the census about what type of building you live in. There are also questions about your sexuality, religion and race. Tim, do you think the census is worth its time and money? Well, yes, Sunday was census day. The Farron family gathered together to complete our online submission without too much aggro. The census has happened in the UK in the second year of each decade, or the first if you are a colossal pedant, since 1801. But 2021 just wouldn't be 2021 without a bit of culture war seeping into the whole process. And two of those culture war fronts, as you identified, Cara, are on national identity and religious identity. There was a push from those terrible Remainers for people to call themselves European, and from nationalists, a call for people not to describe themselves as British, but as only Welsh, Scottish or English. And when it comes to religion, we've seen a campaign led by Humanists UK to persuade people to tick the box that says no religion. YouGov polled those who selected Christian on a what is your religion question and found 59% had ticked it because they had been christened and 44% had done so because one of their parents was Christian. For those people, it seems that the religion question was actually a cultural one. You know, who are you rather than what do you believe? Just 34% said they ticked Christian because they believed in the teachings of Christianity. Humanists have a practical aim in wanting people to tick 
no religion. Ian Dunt, who always writes in such a colourful and engaging way, made the case in The Independent that conservative politicians and religious leaders like to use the statistics and the census to misrepresent belief and therefore cement their political power. Humanists and secularists seem to imagine that the church has entrenched power. It doesn't feel like that from a Christian point of view, as faith is increasingly tipexed out of so much of our culture. But maybe the question for Christians is, do we still want people who have a cultural faith identity, but who do not follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, to tick the Christian box on the census? As the church worldwide grows and grows, in the UK, nominal Christianity has been in decline. Fewer people go to church, fewer people learn about Jesus in childhood, and fewer people have even a basic knowledge of the Bible. I think Christians should lament this, but shouldn't we take that lament to God, passionately crying out to him? After all, what matters is people's personal response to Jesus, not their response to a census question. What we might say back to those behind this campaign is that having no active faith is not the same as being atheist. And it's a delusion to assume that the default position in our society is the absence of belief, because everyone puts their faith in something. But honestly, I'm not letting this keep me awake at night. If you ask me, people should fill in the census truthfully. We can't legislate to make people believe. If we demand to be considered a Christian nation when we're really not, doesn't that make it look like we're grabbing status, which just fuels resentment and hides the real message of the cross, of victory through humility and sacrifice? The census is a snapshot, while our focus is on eternity and holding out Jesus to a lost world Let's demonstrate what the love of Jesus looks like through sacrificially serving our communities, faithfully speaking the gospel to those whose hopes have been upended by the pandemic. Souls are not saved through survey questions, but by the work of the Holy Spirit as God partners with us to share the gospel in love with those we meet. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, this week on the show, we're talking about whether Christian values are for everyone or just for Christians. And to help us to think about these things is Danny Kruger, who's been the Member of Parliament for Devices in Wiltshire since December 2019. Hello, Danny. Hello, Tim. Well, thanks ever so much for joining us on the show. Look, the thing I think most of our listeners are always really interested in hearing from our guests is how you became a Christian and what that's meant for you. Well, thank you for asking. It's a um, It's a straightforward story. I grew up in a non-Christian home and uh, by the time I was in my early to mid-twenties I think I was just aware of a lack in my life and was casting around for for answers but I was always determined I think subconsciously that the answer would be found in myself that I I, I was self-sufficient and I just needed to work out a, a philosophy that worked and actually I think in a sense politics and, and conservative politics was part of my attempt to find that but that on its own was insufficient and so the change happened when I met a girl called Emma and Emma took me to church and uh, took me all around loads of different churches actually Uh, we went on a sort of tour and uh, finally settled at a church in Maribyrn in London uh, St Mary's Bryanston Square uh, and Emma also gave me books to read. And I, the, I, I attribute the moment of me becoming a Christian to somewhere between the beginning and the end of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. So I began that book still thinking I was interested in this interesting, you know, strange 
religion, but fundamentally I was an atheist. Um, and I ended that book thinking, no, I'm a Christian. So somewhere in, in those pages, uh, the change happened. And so it's all down to Emma and she's now my wife. Marvellous news down to Emma and a little bit down to C.S. Lewis, although entirely down to the Holy Spirit, we're going to say, but uh, Mere Christianity, what a tremendous book. And it's really, really encouraging to hear that it still has that impact uh, yeah. in, the, in the 21st century. Now, you got yourself involved in politics at university, is that right? Yes. Uh, well, I guess I did. I mean, yeah, I, I was a bit involved in politics at university. I was interested in it from before. And I remember at school being, I was in the political society at my school and I was very, um, I, I was always a Tory. I never had a kind of socialist phase or, um, but my conservatism, I'm ashamed to say, my early, you know, as a child and as a young person was uh, not quite the conservatism I have now. And um, uh, so I've been on a bit of a journey. But yes, I've always been been really fascinated by politics. And so when you left university, politics became a career for you even before you entered Parliament? Well, I started my first job. I did a postgrad degree and then I, um, I was working actually... At, at the Telegraph newspaper at that time as well, writing about politics. And uh, and then I, then yes, I I had a job in a think tank in Westminster and I worked for the Conservative Party when we were in opposition. And, and that was around the time I became a Christian. So I, I was, it was in my sort of early working life. And um, I remember going to meet a group of people in Conservative Central Office um, who were down in the basement of the building. Uh, and this was before I was a Christian, but these people were the Conservative Christian Fellowship, and they had a little office down at the bottom of the uh, of, of the office, of central office, which they'd been given, like kind of in the basement. Um, and I went to see them because I thought they, these guys were talking quite interestingly about society and about social policy and about the kind of communities and the kind of society we want to be. And I, that kind of resonated with me and with my evolving political ideas. But I, I thought funny that they're Christians but anyway those guys so Tim Montgomery who's quite well known now as a commentator yeah. uh Robert Halfon is not a Christian he's Jewish but he is um he was a part of that gang as well uh Peter Franklin who's a journalist as well so these guys this is all 25 years ago 20 years ago maybe um and I was struck by their their brand of conservatism it really chimed with me and, th and then when I became a Christian I realized what it was that was driving them and why mm. how how their faith chimed with their politics and I share that now and you've said to me before that the um, becoming a Christian obviously didn't change your party politics, but it did really change your 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 outlook and how you considered um, your opinions to fit within the kind of political sphere. Tell tell me how your opinions perhaps evolved and changed after you became a Christian. Well, in the same way that I, I realised that I hadn't got, I don't have the answers myself, and therefore becoming a Christian was in a way a submission to a bigger picture and a bigger story than anything that I could work out for myself. My my politics went on the same journey. So I, as I said, I my early brand of conservatism was a sort of almost a parody of Thatcherism. It was you know the individuals in in charge, and what we need is to free the individual to do much you know do their own thing, and that way everyone will be more prosperous and and, mm. and happier. You know what we need is individual personal freedom, and the government should just get out of everybody's way. In a sense, there's no such thing as society. You know that which is obviously a parody mm. of Thatcherism because that's mm. what we believe. But um, and uh, uh, and so my but 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 over time, and as I say, it was it was before I became a Christian that began to weaken in me, and it was actually reading Edmund Burke, the great conservative uh, political philosopher, mm -hmm. 
himself a strong Christian, uh, that made me realise actually the individual is not sovereign. The individual on their own can't do anything. We exist in our relationships. We have obligations to others. And our freedom really depends on other people. So a more what we call communitarian political philosophy was sort of growing in me. But then when I became a Christian, that became far stronger and more obvious. And and I realised how much our Christian traditions in this country are the foundation of our politics, including our liberal politics. You know, we, where do we get the idea that the human being is intrinsically dignified uh, and worthy of respect? You know, where do we get the idea of human rights from, if not from the Christian teaching that everybody matters equally? Um, where do we get the idea of, of equality from, except for the idea that you know, the last shall be first? Uh, you know, Jesus had a ministry to the ordinary people, not to the elite. And where do we get the idea of, you know, God having, well, of, of there being a special role on nations and on communities? You know, that this, is, this is a very biblically rooted set of political ideas that we are just, is part of our, our culture in this country. So I, I guess I've came to see all of that through my faith. And I hope I also, I mean, this is also always a work in progress, but I, I hope I became a bit humbler and less of the opinion that, you know, I could, you know, fix things as an individual and then as a politician realising that, you know, we can't do a great deal on our own as individual MPs. We have to work in collaboration with others and both in Parliament but also in our communities. So I think, I think, I hope that Christianity has made me obviously a slightly better man um, but also perhaps, you know, a, a, a politician who's able to be more effective. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking with Danny Kruger about whether Christian values are for everyone or just for Christians. Danny, you really interestingly point out the, the, kind of the, the, the parody of Thatcherism, if you like, the concern about the individual as opposed to community. During the 1980s and 90s, people would think of uh, that individualism as being economic. But actually, I suppose in 2021, individualism has become very social it's about you know me living for me me being the best I can me be me uh, living for myself and um, many people will say well okay Christianity believe in it if you like but how can it or why should it have any impact upon uh, people individuals in our society if they aren't Christians themselves are Christian values just for Christians or are Christian politicians like you and me obliged, encouraged to use our position to legislate, to try and advance uh, those Christian values through, through Parliament? Well, I think that everybody brings their philosophy to work and to these discussions. And whether you're talking about it at home or in the pub or whether you're in Parliament, every political opinion you have comes from somewhere. And it's a... Uh, it's a it's a fantasy to think that that any of us are somehow uh, uh, you know omniscient and able to pull out of this thin air the right worldview and the right ideas. We get we, we they they come from somewhere, and so for us we are bringing our Christian politics, our Christian philosophy into our politics, and and people who have different philosophy bring theirs. So I dispute the idea that we are uniquely you know the religious people. Everybody's religious, mm-hmm. um, and I would say that we don't expect everybody to believe what we believe, but I think we do have a bit of a challenge to the dominant culture, which, as you say, is uh, is consumed by the idea that that all that really matters is that is the individual should have as maximum possible scope for self-expression. 
and personal freedom. And all that really matters is how much can we facilitate individual autonomy and self-expression. And this comes down, I think, to a religious position, which is that the that I, uh, the authentic self within me, is the ultimate fact of the world. Mm-hmm. Whereas we think the ultimate fact of the world is God and his creation, mm-hmm. uh, or his position as the creator. And we think that our job as individuals and as a society is to try and align as much as possible with God's vision for us. Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of a challenge to the to the to the culture because the culture thinks the job of society is to align as much as possible with my own personal um, plans, and I think it's a quite a difficult thing to reconcile. And while we are, I hope, you know, gentle, humble, extremely um, kind, and uh, non-confrontational, there isn't any real. Uh, uh, reconciliation that we can make with that worldview we are basically in opposition to it so it's a challenge and to answer your question is it for everybody well no i i i don't think everybody has to become a christian and yes by us advancing christianity through our work in politics that doesn't mean enforcing christianity on people but i but it also doesn't mean accepting that all our all our efforts must just go towards enabling people to do more of what they want because we basically think that what people want without without society and and ultimately <clears throat> without a christian conception is going to be quite a bad outcome so we do think we you know the more christianity we have the roots of our politics the better even if we're you know obviously not we believe in the secular space and we're not going to try and enforce our faith on anybody but i think those are really really interesting points uh, i mean first of all no one expects a marxist to leave their worldview at the door before they enter the committee meeting or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, we all have a worldview. Uh, there's nobody without a worldview. I just guess we, we, we are able to be a little bit clearer than some as to where that comes from. And likewise, as you say, uh, Christianity, particularly when it comes to this sense that you know we are not our own masters entirely by any means, that really is very radical and countercultural. And yeah. as you say, we must behave and sit in a very gracious way with the rest of society who may think other things, but it is just radically different uh, mm. to that that worldview. And, yes, and that's going to that is going to jar, but all the more reason for us to be gracious about it. Danny, before we finish, tell us a little bit about the new centre that you're establishing to um, press home some of these ideas. Thank you. Well, you know, this isn't a Christian project that we've set up, in, in, except insofar as everything I do, I hope, is Christian in its spirit um but it's a uh, it's a new unit called the new social covenant unit so christians will recognize the language there but but it's actually derived from a quite a long tradition in our country of the notion of the covenant as a better way of describing the relationship that we all have with each other and with the government mm. than the more familiar liberal uh concept of the social contract which i think implies some kind of transaction some kind of quid pro quo but actually a covenant is a enduring relationship that doesn't that isn't um isn't about what i can get from others uh, or what i owe to them it's 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 really about the relationships that exist between us and so what we're trying to do is to promote the politics of the social covenant which we define as being that we need stronger families uh, stronger communities and a stronger nation it's these associations that give us our, our safety our, our happiness and our freedom 
And the purpose of politics, in my mind, is to strengthen these institutions of family, community and nation, because it's those institutions that make you and I more virtuous, better behaved people. And if we were all just a bit better behaved, if we were less um, selfish and greedy, and we thought more for the long term, um, more for other people, uh, and, and, and we're more creative and more imaginative and more compassionate in the way we live, then I think we will all have a better society and we won't need we won't need such a such a big government. And, you know, you as a liberal Democrat and me as a conservative both have an idea that actually would be better if communities and families were able to support each other without having recourse to, to the big state. But we shouldn't just be cutting the state. We need to be re, you know, reducing the demand on it yes. that is caused by social breakdown. And I think we will avert social breakdown or reduce it if we can strengthen our families and our communities. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Miriam Cates, MP, another Christian in Parliament, and I are are sharing this little project. And um, you can find it at socialcovenant.co.uk, I think, or newsocialcovenant.co.uk. And that's the plan. I hope to nudge our, our colleagues uh, in, in this direction. Danny, thanks ever so much. We wish you all the best with the new project and with all the other things that you do. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. All the best. See you soon. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. This is your chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political, or even personal. This week, we have a question from a listener. They say, does writing to your MP make any difference? Yes, it does. I think it does to me, for sure. When I look at my inbox every day, obviously, we deal with every email we get in. But also, there's a sense of weighing them. When a number of people write in about the same issue, you're aware there's something going on and one response to that. And are sometimes influenced by what people say to us. But I also think it's important for us to think as Christians what the impact on members of parliament and their researchers are in a different way. So I'll give you an example. A few months ago, during the domestic violence bill, we had lots of emails from people wanting MPs to vote against a couple of amendments to the domestic violence bill that related to abortion. They all declared themselves as Christians and then set out why MPs should vote against these amendments. It then occurred to me and my researcher at the time that there were no emails from people declaring themselves to be Christian who were uh, concerned about the domestic violence bill itself. And if you scroll forward a few weeks when the government decided to reduce our proportion of our finances that we give in aid to the developing world, I don't remember seeing any, certainly not many, emails from declared Christians in opposition to cutting the amount that we give to the world's poor. And so my quick warning, if you like, is this. If you write to your MP, remember, you are being a witness to that MP, if they're not a Christian, and their researchers, if they're not Christians, in a way that maybe you don't intend. So let's remember that when we write to our members of parliament and their staff, that we're in a position to uphold the gospel, to uphold them, and to leave a important and powerful witness behind. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we draw to the end of this week's programme, let's pray together. Well, loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Christians serving in the House of Commons, um, Danny Kruger and Miriam Cates working on their new Social Covenant Foundation. We pray you bless what they do and may it bring glory to your name. 
We think also of our leaders in this country and leaders around the rest of Europe as they grapple with the decisions they need to take to ensure that people are safely vaccinated and protected from any further increase in uh, the spread of the coronavirus. We pray for people to work together uh, in love and harmony and unity, to make wise decisions, to make altruistic decisions. And we pray that you would um, continue your work of uh, in the hearts and minds of people around Europe, in this country as well, uh, drawing people to you as you provide serious and real hope to people at a time when their hopes have been in so many other ways upended. And Lord, we pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, next week, we'll be talking to the independent peer, Lord David Alton, former Liberal and Liberal Democrat MP, whose genocide amendment to the trade bill passed this week. We're going to be asking him how he became a Christian and how he makes a difference in the House of Lords. I'm Tim Farron. It's been wonderful having you with us. Thanks for listening. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.